0: I was on a camping trip with my best friend a couple of years ago, and we were talking around the campfire, and he mentioned, you know, I don't hear enough about how a song was created, how a song came about, the background, if you will. And it gives us a chance to get a little insight into the songwriter, or in a lot of cases, the artist, who is the songwriter. And after a couple more glasses of bourbon, (laughs) that's where it all began, as it was written the story behind the song. My name is Garrett. I do Afternoons on K95, which is a country station in Richmond, Virginia. So we're going to jump into episode six with Corey Kent. He kind of surprised us all with a song last year called Wild As Her. And that became his very first number one song. This was such a great conversation. I could have talked to Corey for another hour easily. So we're going to dive into it. As it was written, the story behind the song
1: with Corey Kent.
0: There we go. You got me? I got you. Right on. So you got a show tonight? Yeah. Where are we? Good night.
1: Cincinnati,
0: Cincinnati. isn't it weird when you're like, I don't even know where
1: in the heck we are, man. It's, it's gotten to that point every <laughs> night before I go on stage. I'm like, Hey, Bo remind me what state are we in? I want to make sure I don't mess up the shitty name. You know,
0: does Bo write that down on your playlist on your set list? Mm-hmm. Make sure you know you're in Cincinnati. Is that written down like, on your floor.
1: No, he doesn't write it down. It's just something that like right before I guess it, it is written down, but I don't read it. But I right before I go on stage, I just have somebody tell me where I'm at just to make sure. Usually right. I usually I do know By the time sometimes. I haven't that. ever, yeah, just completely said the wrong place before. <laughs> so that's good.
0: As it was written, the story behind the song this week we're talking with Corey Kent. Corey, you've had your first number one with Wild As her. How was that feeling?
1: Yeah. Man, uh, it has completely changed my life, um, for the better. Uh, it's made, it's, it's taken us, you know, we, we were a band, uh, cutting our teeth in the Texas and Oklahoma clubs for the most part. And, um, now we're, we're able to play, you know, coast to coast and we're, uh, we're selling out shows all over the country now, as opposed to just in kind of our region. Uh, I mean, it is, I was working at a pavement company when I cut this song, when I started recording it, I was working at a pavement company in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, so life has dramatically, uh, and drastically changed since, since then. Uh, but it's been amazing. It's been a roller coaster ride. My, my path to success has been such a winding, crazy twist and turn kind of thing. And, uh, we're loving where we're at right now. Just super grateful. Honestly. I mean, it could have turned out a million different ways and I'm glad it turned out this way.
0: Well, let's get to the uh, background on the song here in just a little bit. I want to get to know Corey Kent. Tell me about little Corey Kent. What did say five-year-old <laughs> little Corey Kent want to be compared to then 18 year old Corey Kent to where you're at today? How did that, do you ever hmm. want to be
1: a fireman? Uh, I mean, at one point in college, actually I was like, maybe I'll just be a firefighter. You know, <laughs> uh, College is hard and I don't know if I want to do this. Uh, but no, when I was a kid, I think like everybody, I wanted to be, I wanted to be an athlete, you know, uh, that's kind of what no, I just played every sport that I could play. That's just what I like to do. Um, and as I got older, I was, you know, I was a good enough athlete that I could make the team and I could start and get, get playing time. And, but I was never really like the standout athlete. I was the, I was younger than all my classmates by about a year. Um, I was a June birthday, so just I was I was just a year younger than everybody. And so uh, kind of because of that, I just never really excelled in athletics, but again, i was I was good enough to play, and I, I loved it, but I hated practice. I hated it. I loved the games, I hated practice. I loved wrestling matches, but I hated practice. And so music was the first thing that I found that I loved the practice. Uh, and it it didn't bother me. Like I wanted to spend every spare moment I had getting better that. So yeah, when I was a kid, it was, it was sports. And then when I was 11 is when, uh, this sounds disclaimer, it sounds like I might've been a child prodigy, but that's just not how it was. Uh, <laughs> but when I was 11, I got an opportunity to be the lead singer of a band, uh, of a Western swing band. And that's like jazz music meets traditional country, right. it's real old school, 1930s style country music. Uh, and It was supposed to be for like one show uh, at Kane's Ballroom in Tulsa. And we were opening for a sleep at the wheel and the, or uh, the uh, Texas playboys, which was Bob wills original right. band and growing up in Oklahoma and Texas, like that's a big deal, right? Like the, the Western swing thing was a, has a huge legacy and history there. And uh, we play this one show. it sold out at like 2000 people. And uh, it's supposed to be one show only. We get a little paycheck, which I thought was super cool at 11 years old. I'm like, oh, crap, you can make money playing. This is insane. I think I made 200 bucks. And, um, then it turns into five years on the road touring with this band. Uh, we're opening for the Oak Ridge Boys and Roy Clark and all sorts of people just getting a master class on uh, on entertaining. I mean, those guys are just world class entertainers. And we get to sit there and watch them every night after our set and just get tens of thousands of hours of stage time over the next five, six years. And so that was like age 11 to 16. And then the band starts to break up because everybody's going to college and I'm the youngest in the group. So I'm 16. People are going to school and I'm like, man, I I might as well go back to being a normal kid. I'm going to go dive back into wrestling and, um, you know, just be be normal, right? Go go to high school, graduate, maybe go to college. And then this night with Willie Nelson happened, which is a, a much longer story, but essentially... Right when I was at the crossroads of like, am I going to give up on music because I had had this crazy path up to this moment of I knew how hard it was to build any sort of momentum in music. It was really tough. We did five years of it and and we still were just, you know, uh, spinning our wheels a lot of times. Well, this night with Willie happened and instead of giving up, it inspired me to move to Nashville and learn how to write songs. So uh, I got to play a song with Willie Nelson in front of, I don't know, five, 10,000 people in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And less than a year later, packed up everything I had. I graduated high school a year early, and I moved to Tennessee. And uh, yeah, so then that's, that's that 17, 18 realm. And I wanted to write songs for other people. I thought that was my my dream job. And a couple years in, to you know, sleeping in my truck and crashing on friends' couches, I ended up with that quote unquote dream job: writing songs at uh, Warner Chapel for you know, writing, being a, being a staff songwriter. And I was having no national success, but people in Texas were cutting my songs and having hits down in Texas. And it just, it wasn't the fulfillment I thought it was going to be. I I realized, man, my dream job isn't writing songs for other people. My dream job is writing songs for me and getting to go out on the road and play them. So that is kind of what led to that, that last, career shift of like, man, I have to be an artist. There's no other thing that's going to fill me up like live music. That's what I grew up doing. That's, that's where I get my most joy with music. And so I lost my pub deal. I got fired essentially, which I've never been fired from anything in my life, but I got (laughs) fired and um, my wife and I, and, uh, and our baby girl at the time, we picked up and we moved to Texas and we decided we were going to build a music career from the road and uh, just kind of do it old school. Van and trailer, work twice as hard. Everybody in Nashville thought this is the dumbest thing you could ever do is leave Music City if you want a music career. But we just were like, you know what, we're going to work twice as hard from Texas. Let God figure out the rest. And uh. That's what we did. And as soon as we got there, the world shut down for like two years.
0: <laughs> well, let's go back. I mean, that's an amazing story for being 11 years old, doing all those shows. I mean, did you know that music beforehand where you knew all the words and no. everything else? How did, how, and then no, trying man, to keep up with I, your schoolwork.
1: Well, school is a crazy thing, man. Um, but no, I didn't know the music. Uh, I didn't even know what Western Swing was. All I knew was, I love playing music i love practicing music and i wanted to do that Uh, i wanted to play live these hall of famers these western swing hall of famers two guys named rick and shelby came in and they were like we can pay you you can play live and we will educate you on the history of western swing music in this region we'll teach you the songs we'll teach you the words it's like we'll walk you through it and that's, that's how it came to be. And and I ended up falling in love with it as I got older. I just, um, you know, compared to what I play now, it's much more uh, sophisticated. Like right. Like, playing that kind of music was, was incredibly tough. Like, the, the guitar players in that realm are monsters. Had they ever and, you know, heard you sing before? And, yeah, they had. So, Shelby, one of the guys was my guitar teacher. He was the, the first person. I can't read music. I don't know music theory. I don't really maybe, maybe in an unhealthy way. I don't really have an interest in it. I just want to write something that makes somebody feel something and I want it to sound and feel good. And so I just never really had an interest in the theory part. And so I went through so many guitar teachers, um, trying to find somebody who would just teach me what I wanted to learn, which was like, I wanted to learn how to play, take it easy by the Eagles. And I didn't care what notes I was playing. I wanted to know how to play the notes. Right. And Shelby was the first guy that, that didn't give up on me. He was a guy that was like, okay, I see that you learn different. You have different goals. Let me help you get there. He would teach me what I wanted to learn. And then the whole purpose of me learning those songs was so I could sing them. So I'd be practicing and I'd be singing. And I guess he picked up on the fact that I could sing at 11 and was like, Hey, you want to be the lead singer of this band I'm putting together? It's all guys your age and it's going to be some cool stuff. So that's kind of how it unfolded. And then, to your point of school work, then, um, I've always had a really unconventional path when it comes to school. Uh, like I said, I, at 16, I was like, I'm going to graduate early and move to Nashville. So I doubled down. I started doing, I started taking classes at the community college so that I could get double credit. Uh, and it would count towards my, my college hours, but it would also get me uh, one step closer to graduating high school and get the diploma. And then when I got to college, um, oh, so I moved to Nashville at 17 spent what should have been my senior year there writing songs, and then um, I ended up going back to Oklahoma State. Uh, my first two years there, I spent on campus. Then I figured I was touring a lot, playing on the on the weekends, playing fraternities, sororities, and it was our band was getting more and more popular. So we're we're in the Big Twelve region, and then we're starting to get some traction, like in the SEC region in the ACC region. So we start going uh, further and further away from school. And it's making school work harder. So I ended up, most of my tests while I was at OSU, I took early. Uh, I used to tell people, the, the professors, I started to tell them, look, I play music and I have a show this weekend, so I can't be here for the test. Can I take it some other time? That didn't really go over. That, I wouldn't they think so. You, right. They kind of looked at you like, well, you need to, you know, school is more important. That's a pipe dream. That's not going to work out. So what I started telling them was, look, I have a job. It's how I put myself through school. Uh, as part of how I pay, like to live. And uh, I have to go do this job, but I also, you know, want to make sure that I, I keep up with my schoolwork. So can I take the test early? So I ended up taking almost all of my exams like a week early, wow. which sucked. But you know, I got through it, and then I could go play the show and not worry about missing class. And so started doing that, and then by the end of my Sophomore year at Oklahoma State, OSU was really great. The president of the university, his name is President Burns. He was like, he he actually called me into his office. He's like, hey, I thought we of what you're doing. You're you're an artist. You're a musician. I don't know if you know this, but we have some alumni here that were that went on to do great things in country music: Tim Dubois, Garth Brooks, Scott Hendricks. We we want to support you, and I just want you to know that we're going to set you up with a new counselor to help you achieve your goals. Wow. I was like, holy cow. So I go in sit down with this counselor and she says, Hey, we actually, if you switch majors, cause I was in the business school. She's like, if you can switch your major to, I was accounting and finance. I was trying to, I sucked at them, but I was trying to learn what the heck those were. <laughs> and uh, she's like, if you switch to a, a business management degree, then you can actually take your last two years, hundred percent online. You've finished enough of the coursework that the only classes you have to complete are all available online now. So that's what I did. I moved back to Tennessee. I signed up for all online courses. I was touring as much as I possibly could. I think my last semester of college, I took, uh, I think, like 20, 24, 25 credit hours. Good Lord. Which was insane. Right. Uh, And I took a test in 12 different states my last semester. So (laughs) I would just be playing in, you know, nowhere Arkansas, and I'd call up the local university. And I'd say, hey, I, you know, I'm a student from Oklahoma State. I need a proctored test, which basically means I need somebody to make sure that I'm not cheating. And I'll go in on their computer lab and I'll take this test. So it was kind of the perfect day and age for me to do both. You know, I was working towards my, my goals in music, but I was also finishing up school. And I think it was kind of like the, the first time you didn't really have to choose between one or the other.
0: That is, I mean, that, that is some drive right there. I don't see many people that have that kind of, that took a lot of focus. And so I commend you on that. That's pretty amazing.
1: Uh, thank you.
0: What did go back to Willie Nelson for me real quick. You said you did something with Willie. Sure. I think <clears throat> I heard this story somewhere. Did you held up a sign? Is this how you got the Willie thing or what was that about? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'll try to keep the. I can talk about this story for hours, <laughs> but, um, I will I'll try to keep it as concise as possible. So Willie's coming through town. My grandfather and my uncle, my uncle got my grandpa's tickets because he's the biggest Willie fan you've ever met. Um, so they have like great tickets a few rows back from the stage. And they were in town visiting us to go to the show. And they were like, you really should get tickets, you know, to see Willie. We you never know. Uh, how much longer he'll be touring. Like none of us knew he'd be touring for 15 more years. You he's know, coming at, here at next point.
0: month and he's 90.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing, man. He's he's a living legend. And he was even there. Uh, so they taught me into going and I'm, you know, 16. I can't afford hardly 20 bucks in my gas tank. You know, I'm working dead end jobs. The band's kind of fizzled out. Uh, and so I scalped the ticket when I got there. About 20 minutes after the show started, I, I found a guy that just, didn't want to go to the show and offloaded a ticket for like 10 bucks. So I walk in and up to this point in my life, every concert I've ever gone to, I've almost been tormented with the thought of, I ah, should be me up there, right? I want to, what would I do if I got the chance? How could I possibly get up there tonight? And every time it's never worked out, right? It's never once worked out where I ended up on a stage with somebody, but tonight felt a little different. And I don't know what led me to do it, but I went to the concession stand and I asked this, sweet lady for a uh, piece of cardboard. If she could find me cardboard. And she was like, why? Sure. I'll help you. You know, gets me cardboard. And I was like, okay, I have one more request. Do you have, do you think you can find a Sharpie for me? Well, she finds one and I write, it's my dream to play a song with you on this sign. And, uh, I go up to my nosebleed seat and sit down and I'm taking in a show, just 16 year old kid alone at a Willie show surrounded by complete strangers. Uh, And then my uncle calls me and it's super loud down there, you know, and and he's just like, Hey, if you know anything about my grandpa, you know that he loves Willie Nelson and he loves Maker's Mark. Okay. (laughs) Those two things when, when combined, it is a rowdy time for that guy. Okay. So, so my, my uncle calls me and he's like, Hey, switch me. I need a break. I'm going to get a beer. Come, you know, come sit with your grandpa for a bit, you know, just, just give me a break. And, uh, and so I, you're supposed to have like a wristband to walk down to the floor. And I was like, man, maybe if I just walk down there like I own the place and no like nobody would say anything to me. So that's what I did. I walked straight past the security guard with my sign, acting like I was I was supposed to be there. And I got to that seat and sat down and I just like, you know, looked around and boop, shine up. And Willie leans over the stage, takes a bandana off his head, throws it to me. And, uh, like, hey, kid, glad you're here, but put the sign down. And I take the bandana, put it in my pocket, hold the sign back up. <laughs> and he he throws another bandana at me, like, okay, kid, really, you got to put the sign down. And uh, I turn around to the guy behind me, and I hand him the bandana. Because, you know, he's paid a good amount of money for these sheets, and I'm blocking his view. Right. I was like, I'm sorry, man, I have to do this. Hold the sign back up. <laughs> So time number three, Willie leans over the stage and he goes, "All right, kid. Well, what do you want to sing?" And I, I had thought about this every every concert I've ever been to. I've been like, "What would I do if given the opportunity?" And I knew that nobody wanted to hear me, some no-name kid, sing a Willie Nelson song. They wanted to hear Willie sing "Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain" or Rang- "Whiskey River," whatever it might be. So I thought, "What would Willie know that I know?" Uh, that would be exciting for him to play. And I'd seen him play Milk Cow Blues, which is an old Western swing Bob Wills song that I grew up playing because I was in that band. Right. And so I said, Milk Cow Blues. And he his eyes lit up. He's like, man, what is this? I'm sure he's thinking like, what does this 16-year-old kid know a <laughs> 1930s Bob Wills song for? And he goes, well, get up here. Wow. So I hopped up on stage and, and uh, you know, he's standing next to the mic and he's looking out at the crowd and he goes, What's your name, kid? And I said, Corey. And he goes, everybody, this is Corey. And, you know, the crowd's going, "Ah." Such a cool moment. And he's standing right by the mic because he has no idea if I'm just going to completely choke or not. Right. He's ready to catch me if I fall, essentially. And uh, I step up. I sing uh, first line, Well, I woke up this morning? And as soon as he heard the first line come out of my mouth, this is the coolest moment of the whole night. He looks at me. He gets this big old grin on his face. And he just gives me a nod and steps back and starts playing Trigger. You know, he's just playing his guitar like, you got it. Take the whole song, man. Wow. And he let me sing that whole song. And uh, that was the night that that I realized that my music journey wasn't supposed to be over yet. So, um, like I said, man, I went back. I, I went, immediately went to my school counselor at the high school and was like, here's what I want to do. I want to move to Nashville. Uh, I missed my own high school graduation to go write songs. So uh, that's what it it made me want to become a songwriter. Up to that point, I was just a, a, a singer in a band and now I was like, I got to learn how to write songs. Right. So I moved to Tennessee. Have you
0: seen Willie since then and told him that story?
1: No, I hope to God someday I get the chance to, you know, just, just say thank you. Um, he probably has a million of those moments in his career where he's, you know, helped some, somebody. Uh, but for me, I've only had one of them, you know, and, and he has no idea the impact that that, the, the trajectory shift that that caused in my life. And so, uh, I owe a lot of where I am today to so that night, that one chance that Willie gave me, that 16 year old kid in Oklahoma that he probably never thought another thing of, but, uh, you know, it led me down a path to where I am right now. And that's, you know, a full-on music career and a number one hit and uh, an up-and-comer in country music, man. So I hope someday our paths cross and I can just say thank you.
0: In your mind, do you think I need to pay that back somehow, some way to some kid down the road? Maybe there's a, you know, an 11-year-old kid five years down your career and you're like, yeah, come up here. And you see that sign. He's like, let me sing with you. And then do you go, come on?
1: Yeah, I think at some point that's going to happen. I Until then, I think I've just, um, you know, cutting our teeth in the red dirt bars is like, you don't always get treated with respect as an opener. <clears throat> uh, and even on, like we're on the Aldine tour right now and they have treated us so well. Right. Uh, but that's not always the case. Like you, we've been the opener plenty of times where they don't care who you are, they don't treat you well. But that to me always stuck out and I, went, I never want to be that somebody so how do I how do I do that differently right so even now um there are there are things that I'm doing for some younger artists that uh are are up and coming maybe not even younger but just guys that aren't quite where we are yet you know I I have looked over two of my my friends deals they're signing their first publishing and and record deals and like let me help you avoid some pitfalls and and uh I take time like that to kind of help my friends stay out of the the, you know, uh, just the things that you can naively run into in the music right. phase. And then also like we have a, a van that we call rooster that we you kind of retired rooster
0: years. a little bit, right? Sort of.
1: Yeah. Recently. But what we've done is I've started to rent rooster out to two of my buddies, these same guys that are on the the come up and they can't, uh, quite afford their own van yet. And I can beat, you know, the prices of them trying to go rent one. So I'm trying to, you know, keep rooster in the family and keep them busy, but also help these guys out. And then another thing that I've started to do is like, as we move on from our old gear, um, I will like finance that to another guy. Like it would cost him tens of thousands of dollars to go buy a trailer and to go buy in-ear monitors and to go buy wireless guitar packs and to to have the whole thing ready to go. I, I had to do it myself, right? Like I had to, I had to, shave up every penny to get this stuff and it was really tough and so i was like look if you were to go to a bank and and take a loan right now for this stuff interest rate is going to be insane it's going to not even make sense you're just going to have to play with the bare minimum stuff but why don't i just finance this for you and do zero percent interest and just you pay it off as you go and it gets you to that next level helps you put on that next show so those things that i'm doing that are still helpful to me, but really beneficial to these guys uh, on the come up because I want to see, like, we had to really, go, you know, fight tooth and nail to get any sort of traction. It was really hard uh, to to build a, a career in these in these bars where you're playing for 150 bucks a night right. and you're paying every guy in your band more than that. Right. So I know the grind and I'm like, man, if I can help alleviate that pressure to give you a chance to break through, I'm going to do it. And so... Yeah, I'm I'm trying to give back in those ways, but I I I can't wait for the day that you know we we pull some kid up on stage and they just crush it, and hopefully it's another you know, pivotal moment in their life that inspires them to go chase their dream.
0: That is very cool what you're doing to help out other musicians. That's, uh, you know, you don't hear that often. And so thank you for sharing that because there's so many guys out there that struggle. And the only way that they're going to do it is by, you know, getting help from from people like you. So that's very cool. Who is your, yeah. who is your, do you have, from the time you first moved to Nashville, do you have somebody that has kind of become your mentor in Nashville? Who do you go to when you're like, I just, I need... To get this question answered, I need some help. Who do what? Who's your guy?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a great question. Uh, over the years, you know, I think that mentors. I view mentors as like their seasons right? You can't. It's very uh, abnormal for somebody to be like, "I'm going to sign up and be this guy's mentor for the rest of my life," right? Like that's a that's a big ask. But um, seasonally, I've had a few. Uh, two of them were Oklahoma State alum. One of them was Garth Brooks. That was, I would say, my first mentor in the music business, which is wild to think of. He was retired, living in Oklahoma. Um, he's the reason that I went to college. He he talked me into going to college because I, I was living in Nashville. And I was like, man, I'm not really getting anywhere here. What should I do? I'm thinking about going to college. He was like, Nashville will be there. Always, right? And, and it will be ready for you when you're ready. But if you want to learn how to write real songs that real people relate to, we have to go live a real life and that doesn't come from sitting in nashville trying to write songs and become famous like right. that comes from going to school and and being at a normal universe and being a normal college kid and having normal friendships and that is where the ammo for great songs comes from right. and he goes and don't worry it's going to take you longer i mean i'm i'm 28 just turned 29 and i just had my first number one hit and this i was having this conversation with him at 17. Wow. so He's like, it's going to take you longer and that's okay because the further you pull your slingshot back, the further it goes when you finally let it go. And just imagine as you're living a normal life, as you're, you know, getting married and having babies and, you know, graduating college and all this stuff, that's just you pulling the slingshot back on real life songs that you can write. And, and he was right. I mean, that was probably the best piece of advice I've ever been given was be patient, live life write real songs for real people. Um, and so I owe a lot to Garth. And And he was like, in the meantime, go get your degree. You'll never regret that. So I did that. And then uh, moving on, I, I had a guy named Tim Dubois for a while that really helped me um, through. I got the opportunity to be on The Voice, and I really didn't want to do it. And I went to Tim Dubois and said, hey, none of my heroes did it this way. I, I kind of feel guilty about even looking at an opportunity like this. They came to me and asked me to be on this show. And he goes, man, if Willie Nelson or George Strait or Garth Brooks had the opportunity when they were trying to make it, if they had the opportunity to play for millions of people in one night, you better believe they would have taken it. Absolutely. I was like, well, shoot, maybe he's right. And he goes, I think you should walk through the door and see what what it leads to. And, wow. and if they send you home, they send you home. And so that's what I did. And I went all the way. I was the final country artist on that season. I've made it one episode shy of the finale. So he helped me just kind of open my mind to take opportunities that are presented to you. Do them your way. Right. But don't, out of your pride or your ego, say no to opportunities. So that was big. And then now I have, you know, I have a manager that I look up to a lot uh, named George. Uh, sorry, George Corey. He owns a company called Triple Eight Management. I've um, known George for many years. Yeah, man, George is George is uh, just—he's a manager that actually cares about me as a person. He cares about my family, uh, and I can filter life decisions and career decisions for right. this guy, and and he helps me. So, uh, just different seasons of different people. There's also people outside the music industry that I'm taking, you know, parenting advice from and husband advice from, and I really love. Uh, You know, getting the opportunity to get the wisdom from guys that have gone before me in whatever field of life.
0: That's very cool. I I like that. Tell George. uh, Tell George. I said hello. I wanted to. We're about out of time, but I I wanted to get to the background, the meat of. You didn't write "Wild as Her" as a songwriter. How was that? Trying to take another song from somebody else, or when you got pitched, how did you get pitched? Because Morgan Wallen was one of the writers on that, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, Morgan, Kelly Archer, and then my, my friend Brett Tyler. And ultimately, that's how I got the song. Brett and I write for the same publishing company in Nashville called Combustion. This was a Combustion song back in the day. I think they might have sold it uh, in a catalog sale at some point, but they were aware of it because he wrote it while he was writing at Combustion. Uh, and so that's how it came, came across my plate. But to answer, and my whole team believed in this song wholeheartedly. They were like, this sounds, not only does this sound like a hit, it sounds like a hit for you. And that was, I was listening to hundreds and hundreds of songs and I'm going, that's a hit, that's a hit, but none of these hits sound like me. That's not a hit for me. And this is the first one that across the board, everyone unanimously was like, this sounds like a hit and it sounds like a hit for you. So that, uh, trusting my team that I've assembled was huge in that decision. Uh, But the decision to cut outside songs in general came from when I was writing at Warner Chapel. I was writing songs. That I felt like were high quality, and you know they might get put on hold with Luke Bryan or so, so and so, and or I might even have a something that you know goes and goes number one in Texas. That happened, and and I'm just sitting there. But in Nashville, it was impossible to get a cut on an artist's record if the artist wasn't writing on it. I kept hearing that all the time from my publishers. Of like, if you're not in the room with the artist, good luck. It's like winning the lottery. And I remember being a 18, I guess I was like 20. A 20-year-old 20 kid, so frustrated with that. I'm like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If I write a great song, and it's better than all the other songs that are on this record, it deserves to be there. And they're like, sorry kids, that's just not how it works. Wow. I remember at that moment in my career, in my just writer career, I was like, if I ever get to be a major label artist, I will make sure that I give every song a fair chance. And the best song wins, whether I wrote it, or whether Three guys that can't even sing wrote it, right? Like if they can't sing, but they write the best song of the year, I'm putting it on my record because I was so frustrated with the the system, right? And I was like, if I just write songs that I write, or if I just cut songs that I write, then I'm doing the same thing to that 20 year old kid that was getting done to me, and it it was frustrating, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a fair shot at right. at creating art, and not that everything has to be fair, but I just wanted to be a part, some small part of a change there that. You know, that 20-year-old kid that comes in, if he's going to work that day trying to write a song, he knows that if he crushes it and he writes a brilliant song, then it just might make the Corey Kent record. Like, that's what I wanted to do. And so when I heard this song, I was like, man, as much as I wish I wrote this song, I didn't. And it's still a great song. Right. And it deserves to be put out in the world. And so let's take a stab at it and see if we can make it our own. And, um, you know, Morgan sang the hell out of the demo. It was, he He was I mean, he's one of the best vocalists in the game. And uh, I think a lot of people were intimidated by that, maybe. Like, a lot of times when you hear a a demo that's too good, people don't want to cut it because they're like, well, if I can't do it better than what I just heard, then I might as well just look for something else. And that was a tendency that I had. But on this particular song, I just kind of viewed it as, like, a healthy way to measure how do I measure up to the best. Right. Uh, You know, I keep using this analogy, but, like, when Kobe... Bryant came into the NBA, he wanted to guard Michael Jordan right. because he wanted to see how did he stack up against the best in the world. And I was like, man, I could either cheerfully pass on this song because Morgan sang it so well or I could see how I stacked up against some of the best <laughs> in the world. And I I felt much better about taking a stab at it. You know, I'm, right. I'm, My mentality has always been you can't hit a home run if you're not swinging for the fences. And this is a swing for the fence and I was either going to strike out or we were going to hit a home run. And You know, we put it out and and people liked it. So it went all, you know, it was a gold record before we had a record deal. Uh, It was, you know, it's a platinum record and um, the number one hit. It's crazy.
0: Well, you did an amazing job on it. And then you got the new singles. Something's going to kill me. And... I think this may be my new favorite song. I think I saw Dolly say the other day that if she's going to go out, she wants, she's not going to retire. If she goes out, she's going to go out hopefully on stage singing a song, which is doing what she (laughs) loves and that kind of thing. And so that resonated with me and I'm like, I agree. I hope I'm on a deer stand, you know, when when it's my time, whatever's going to take me out. It's, you know, that's my thing. But I, Corey, I know we're going to run out of time here in a second, but I just want to say congratulations and thank you for the time. And we can't wait to get you back to Richmond. And I appreciate you kind of giving us a little
1: background and in-depth into who Corey is. Come on, man. No, thank you for asking great questions. Thanks for having me. I love Richmond. Pink. Can't wait to come back. And in the meantime, check out that new song. Uh, it's one of my favorites, man. I, I hope everybody digs it as much as I, I love it. You got it. And by the way,
0: go out and get the album too, because you have an album out.
1: Brand new debut album called Black Top. I named it that because I was working at a pavement company when I started recording it. I wanted to pay tribute to those guys that helped me through the toughest time of my life, helped me provide for my wife and three kids and yeah, so go check out the record laptop. Uh, I, I, I know you'll love it Well, Corey, we
0: appreciate it And uh, the best of luck And uh, safe travels on on the new bus And, you know, hey, let Rooster get a little it. bit of a break That's right, that's right Such a great time on that Zoom call with Corey Kent Again, I could have talked to him for at least another hour So go search up Corey Kent wherever you listen to music And check out his new song Something's Gonna Kill Me and his new album, Trouble. As it was written, the story behind the song. If you like what you heard, give us a quick rating. Tell us what you think and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.
1: We'll see you soon.